uh, Jim is going to preach to us uh, from this chapter. Uh, Exodus chapter 20 and verses 1 to 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. All that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who was within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is in your neighbor's. Well, good morning. It's uh, really nice to be with you this morning. That's better. <laughs> Every year, someone called Har Harold Legerton, I think I've got the name right. You won't know who he is. I'm and one or two might. Used to come to our Bible college many, many years ago. And he represented the LDOS. I wonder if some of the older ones here remember what the LDOS was. I saw Yes, some, some, quite a few people are nodding, some have said it. The Lord's Day Observance Society. And Harold Legerton spoke very ably and very well. And he was one of those, he was the General Secretary of the LDOS. And um, they lobbied Parliament and, and campaigned to keep Sunday holy, special, different, safeguarded from all that would later happen. Then there was a great movement that some of you remember, may remember called keep Sunday special and it was quite a movement and again they lobbied Parliament, they campaigned and they did their very best to keep the Lord's Day because it was kept reasonably in our land for many 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 years 
and uh, the campaign didn't succeed, of course. The floodgates were opened, Parliament allowed Sunday to be a free-for-all, and we know what it is today, a day of sport, and, uh, well, we live quite near Cheshire Oaks, I don't know, I suppose some of you have been to Cheshire Oaks. Don't go on, well, you wouldn't go on a Sunday, would no. Don't go at the weekend, it's horrendous. They, cars just pile in by the thousands. Uh, they worship merchandise on the Lord's Day, and it's, it's become a tragic day. I heard um, in Edinburgh in the Scotsman newspaper, oh, I'm going back obviously many, many years now, there was a headline and a photograph in the Scotsman newspaper of a young lady carrying a tennis racket on a Sunday morning and she was going to play tennis on a Sunday and it was headline news in the Scotsman. Can you believe it? Well, let's picture Dr. Luke, the great historian of the Bible in the New Testament. He's writing his inspired history of the early church and listen to what he writes. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. First day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's day. Listen to the Apostle John. He says, on the Lord's day, we know which day that is, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. Listen to the great Apostle Paul. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. And then in the very early church, we find Ignatius. He was a contemporary of John, so we just go right back to the beginning of the church. And I quote Ignatius, that everyone that loves Christ keep holy the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day, the first day of the week, Sunday. This is an amazing commandment. It's quite unique. Perhaps you're thinking, well, why? Why is this an amazing commandment? Well, it, it combines three things. It combines instruction. It tells us to honour the Lord's day. It's a practical outline for blessing. And it's also prophetic. Very interesting commandment. It's tragic that so many, even some who profess the name of Christ, think this commandment has sort of lost its authority, lost its purpose with the coming of Christ. I don't know where they get that from, but some people seem to. And clearly, some things have changed since Christ came into the world. I mean, all the sacrifices and all the types and all the ceremonies and all the old ancient feasts, they've all been abolished. Why? Because we don't need them. Because they all pointed forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. They've all been fulfilled. We don't need them anymore. But this is still God's commandment, and as our brothers reminded us, it was written by the very finger of God himself. All the commandments are God's moral law. Now, let's be careful about this. We're not saved by keeping commandments. If I do this and do that and do the other and do the I'll be saved. No, we were not saved by keeping commandments. We're saved by faith alone and trust alone in the Lord Jesus Christ, who filled all the law for us on our behalf and who died for us on the cross of Calvary and shed his blood for us for our redemption and who gloriously rose again on the first day of the week. So it's a rather special day. Now, we learn from verse 11 in Exodus 20 that the Sabbath is a creation ordinance. It's from the beginning God hallowed the principle of such a day right from the very beginning of creation. We've seen how this principle was taught and practiced in the early church. This commandment is just as serious as all the commandments. 
You and I don't have the right to say, well, idolatry is wrong and blasphemy is wrong. Theft can't be right. Adultery is wrong. Coveting is wrong. But not this commandment. This, this, this is, well, some people seem to try and argue that this is different. Well, why is it different? Why is it wrong to steal and, and okay to break this commandment? Isn't it perfectly reasonable that we should give our creator, our loving, gracious God, a portion of our time. We need to capture the spirit of this commandment, don't we? We need to enter into what this commandment is really all about. And all the commandments, you say, I've heard people say, oh, there's a lot of do, don'ts, don't do this, don't do that. Actually, there's a lot of do's. Um, if, if you don't steal, it, it's, it's a good thing, isn't it? If you don't commit adultery, that's rather a good thing. How many little children are breaking their hearts today because mum and dad have split up and gone off with someone else? You can't say that's a good thing. No, it, keeping the commandments is, is a very positive thing, actually. And keeping the Lord's day is a very positive thing indeed. In this godless age, people grab every minute for themselves, don't they? They, they worship them, themselves, they worship pleasures, they worship possessions, they can't get enough. People are always naturally greedy. If they have so much, they want so much more. And the very thought of giving God one-seventh of their time, well, it's kind of alien to them. I'm going to read from Romans 1, verse 21, where we read, for although they, do, although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's what happened to humanity. Our foolish hearts became darkened. Now the fourth, this is the fourth commandment, of course. They're all very precious. But the fourth commandment does two things. Number one, it exposes the unreasonableness of sinful people. The rejection of God's rule is seen as the, uh, uh, in the rejection of this commandment. I'm not having God to rule over me, so I'm not going to keep this commandment. That's how it works. And secondly, it's designed to bring great blessing and even a sense of protection to God's people in every age. Well, how does this commandment and all the commands, how do they start? They start with the word remember. Remember, don't forget. The Israelites knew, of course, from the history, the manna from heaven, that heavenly food, that manna from heaven, it never fell on the Sabbath. It was all a preparation for this great commandment. You don't gather the manna for your family's food on the Sabbath. There'll be enough on Saturday. You can gather it then. Oh, sorry, uh, yeah, uh, Friday rather, but we won't go to that. But um, there'll be enough. But you keep the Sabbath. Remember, God says, in other words, never forget. Don't lose sight of it because our creator knows what's best for us. It's essential for the health of our souls. It's essential for our Christian witness. It's essential for our physical and emotional well-being. Remember, and it's a duty for all people, actually. It's like not stealing, especially for God's redeemed people. We want to keep his commandments. Why? Because we love him. We love him, we love his word, and we love the Lord Jesus. So what does the word Sabbath or Shabbat mean? Well, it, I'm sure you, you all know the answer to that. It means to rest, to stop doing something, to bring something to an end. Also to commemorate and celebrate something. It also 
refers to a period of, if you like, change or an interval or an intermission. So there's a cessation of normal activity on the Sabbath. Now we have to accept some duties are essential. If you're a nurse, if you're a doctor, if you're a vet, if you're a farmer, there are obviously some duties you don't stop doing your work on the Sabbath. You do as little as you have to do. But it's a day when we stop or cease our usual activities to do something else. So it's not just merely don't, it's do. There are things to do. And it doesn't mean rest in the purely physical sense. I mean, does it just mean, well, put your feet up, have a sleep, do nothing at all? There may be times on the Sabbath when you need to put your feet up, when you need to have a little sleep, when you need to have a rest. Fair enough, we all get tired and... Uh, the commandment doesn't say that, but Exodus 31, 17 is very helpful. It simply says in that verse, amongst other things, God rested. God rested. In other words, he ceased his activity in creation. For God never slumbers or sleeps. He never grows weary or exhausted, of course, because he's God. But how many Christians uh, find the Lord's day uh, a, a day of rest? a day of cessation. Well, you say, as a Christian, certainly those of us who do any preaching or any pastoral work at all, you say it's, it's a day of, of rather hard work. It's a day when we, we preach, perhaps there are musicians, the Sunday school is giving lifts, there's giving hospitality, bringing visitors to church. There's lots of very, very good, positive, practical things we can do on the Lord's day. And these are good, these are right, these are honouring to God. So the answer to all this surely is a day of rest from normal work, an interval, a day to be refreshed, a day to be revived, to worship the King, to serve the King, to reflect upon the King. It's wonderful to have a totally different day from all the rest, isn't it? It's, it's a great day of the week, it's lovely. So when did the Sabbath day become the Lord's Day, or if you like, the Christian Sabbath. Well, the Christian Sabbath or Lord's Day was appointed by Christ. He is also, he tells us, the Lord of the Sabbath. It's his day. And there's a reference to all of this in Psalm 118, verses 22 to 24. It's rather important. This is probably the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, actually. Psalm 118 and verse 22. I'm sure you'll know it. Peter certainly quotes it in his first letter. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then we turn to, well, it's quoted, I think, six times in the New Testament, seven times in the Bible altogether, of course, and seven is the number of perfection. Which was the day that the Lord made particularly? Well, the answer to that is in Acts 4 and verse 10, where we read, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. A man has been healed. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, it is which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among, among men by which we must be saved. The rejected stone, 
the Lord Jesus became the headstone, the capstone, the cornerstone when Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday morning, the first, and that glorious resurrection, not the first resurrection, the glorious resurrection. And um, so Psalm 118, these verses we read, they're prophetic. What day are you talking about? This is the day the Lord has made. We'll be rejoiced and we'll be glad in it. What day is this? It's the resurrection day of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the first day of the week. The psalmist says it's a day of rejoicing and gladness. The Jewish Sabbath in the week of Christ's crucifixion was not a day of joy. It wasn't a day of joy at all. Jesus was dead. He was in the tomb. What were the disciples thinking? Well, they were distressed. They were frightened. They were scattered. They weren't glad. They weren't rejoicing. They were very, very sad. Read about the two on the Emmaus Road. The hearts were broken because they believed Jesus was the Messiah and everything came to nothing, it seemed, it seemed. But the next day, the first day of the week, sadness came to great, turned to great joy. Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And there's always been a Sabbath day. There always has. Easter Saturday was the very last of the old covenant Sabbaths. And Easter Sunday was the very first of the new covenant Sabbaths. So in the, the only time in all of human history, there were two Sabbaths together, the old Saturday, Shabbat, and then the new Christian Sabbath, celebrating the Lord's resurrection from the dead. A new cycle had begun. And that's very clear from the many New Testament references we can find. Um, I, I love the story of Troas. I'm sure you do. Well, it's, it's an interesting story. Paul's preaching in a, an upper room. They had no church buildings for four centuries at the beginning of the Christian church. No, no special, they were all right here because no, there were no special buildings at all called churches. And Paul's preaching in Troas and he preached rather a long sermon. If I were to preach the, the length of sermon that Paul preached, you, you wouldn't be happy. You would be, I'd never be invited again. <laughs> but there's Paul preaching and he preaches on and on and on. And we read that, that there were lamps burning. It was very, very warm. And a young man called Eutychus was sitting in the, the window of this house high up and, and he, he fell asleep. I'm sure you never fall asleep in a sermon. Don't do it this morning. And he fell backwards out of an up, upper window and was killed. And Paul said, don't worry. And under God, he was able to raise him from the dead and he came back to the meeting. So there aren't many that can say, well, I fell asleep and died during the sermon, but I came back. And, and it, it's a great story. The point is, they were meeting on, on the Sunday, the, the Christian Sabbath, the first day of the week. That's the point we're making. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What do we know about the Sabbath? We know it's designed to be a holy day. We're to put a wall around it. We're to safeguard it. What does holy mean? It means <coughs> really clean, <coughs> consecrated, special, given to God. And so we should prepare for the Lord's day, surely, shouldn't we? If you engage in late night Saturday activities, then Sunday is just like a dustbin day, isn't it? You think, oh, I'm so tired, I'm so weary, I've done a lie-in this morning. Well, we had an extra hour last night, so it shouldn't have been a problem. But, you know, it, it's important we care about the Lord's day and treat it in the right way. We're in effect saying to the Lord, well, your day isn't really that important. My enjoyment, my entertainment takes first priority. 
And perhaps if I miss the morning service, well, it's not a big issue, is it? Is it? So sometimes we don't prepare as we should. Well, how dishonouring to the Lord that is. Do you remember how the Israelites gathered manna in the wilderness, as we said, each day, except on the Sabbath, and the Lord's given double the amount on the sixth day? And likewise, surely, Christians ought to prepare for the Lord's day. So you buy your bread and your milk and your petrol and your vegetables uh, and, and all of these things before Sunday comes. Prepare. And we also prepare spiritually, don't we? We prepare to be focused on the Lord's day. It's a day when we meet with the living God. What a day. What a privilege. It's special. We hear him speak. It's a privilege to meet with his people, isn't it? We hear his word read and preached and taught and we take bread and wine to remember the Lord's death until he comes. On the Sunday, particularly, good news will be preached. It can be preached in the open air any time, any day of the week, but especially on a Sunday. And just think, on a Sunday, a boy and a girl, maybe this Sunday, may be converted to Christ. That's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. These things matter very, very deeply to the Lord's people. We don't usually quote Socrates in sermons, but Socrates did say, an unexamined life is not worth living. And I think he's got a point. Don't we have the rest of the week to engage in sport, to watch television, if that's what we want to do, to watch films, to shop, to do the gardening, to do the DIY, to wash the car, to clean the house, to do the shopping. We have a whole week to do it. It's a great temptation too, I think, for students bit of a thorny issue often for Christian students to do work on the Lord's Day. Something to think about. Can we not just give one day in seven to the Lord? Because this is his day. It's his day. It's not my day. Begin the day with God. Come to church with a spirit of expectancy and worship and gratitude. Receive God's word with meekness. Uh, this word this morning. And we should attend both Sunday services, if possible. I love the story of Evan Roberts. The, uh, you've all heard of him. Well, many of you have heard of him. Uh, greatly used in the great Welsh revival, 1904, 1905. It's a long time ago now. Um, but he was afraid of missing a service. Why? Because he felt that might be the one where God might come in a very, very special way. And you know something? He went and he went and he went and God did come in a very, very special way indeed. Sometimes it's like that. In our Bible college, not long before I became a student, God came in a very, very special way. That was on a Friday morning as a prayer meeting, but it was a revival. And all the lectures stopped for a week. And it was a remarkable revival. Duncan McQueen was a Highland student from Scotland. And he began to praise God. His first language was Gaelic. English was his second language. And he was praying in Gaelic, then in the English, then back to the Gaelic. And they said he got caught up with God. And they never felt, heard a prayer like it in their lives. And God came down and there was absolute silence. And in the far corner of the room, in the, this room where we had our lectures, there was singing. This is a phenomenon sometimes in real revival heavenly singing, praising God 
and people began to weep and confess sin and get right with God and there was much praise and worship. As we say, the lectures were abandoned for the following week and every one of those students, it was a large student body, the principal, Duncan Campbell, said that it left a mark on every one of those students. Many became missionaries and pastors and so on. It left a mark upon them. So if you miss a service, you never know, that might be the one, when God might come in a very, very special way. And how wonderful if that happened. I suppose you could argue, surely if I'm dishonouring God's day, I'm dishonouring the Lord himself. The nominal Christian who just worships maybe once on a Sunday, then goes back to the TV, is showing his preference for this world and not the next. Matthew Henry, that wonderful commentator and preacher, was in Chester, of course, for a while, greatly used. He says, it is the day which the Lord hath made. Let us not do what we can to unmake it. He has blessed, honoured and sanctified it. Let us not profane it or dishonour it. Even Winston Churchill said this, Sunday is a divine and priceless institution. Richard Baxter said, see that the Lord's day be spent in holy preparation for eternity. And listen to Isaiah the prophet. If you keep your foot from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honourable, and if you honour it by not giving your own way, and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. So we can feast on the heights. We can delight in this day. It's a day of joy. It's not a miserable day. It's not a down day. It's an up day. It's a glorious day. And remember the prophetic element in all of this. Have you considered... On the Lord's day, we demonstrate to God that we really want the return of Christ and the glory that shall follow for his people. Someone has well said, and it's true, each Lord's day is a foretaste of heaven. And it is, it's the Lord's people gathered together, worshipping him, praising him, delighting in his word, obeying his word, getting right with God. Are you among those who love his appearing? Then you will delight in his day and delight with his, to be with his people. Do you know what the Lord's day does? It reflects on the character and the heart of God. It's a token of what he wills and plans for his people eternally. Worship, communion, spiritual light. Neglecting his day brings a trail of tr spiritual tragedy and sorrow, lack of commitment. Self-centeredness, <coughs> worldly priorities, spiritual lukewarmness, disobedience in other areas. The Lord's Day is a wonderful gift from God himself to us. Now imagine, for a moment, it's Christmas Day. And a family member, they've spent a lot of money on something, they've chosen the gift very, very carefully, and they give you a very special gift. It's very valuable. And you make little of it. You laugh at it. You, you treat it like a football. It's dented, it's spoilt. And, and the person, the loved one says, but this, this was a very special gift for you. And you treated it like nothing. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. May the Lord help us to do that. Amen. Shall we conclude with our final hymn, O Day of Rest and Gladness? <laughs>